Leadership Podcast with Jared Graybeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Jared Graybeal. And on today's episode, I have Suna Van Kampen, uh, founder of Tonic Health. Tonic Health is UK's fastest growing immune immunity brand. It's essentially a high-dose immunity drink combined with natural plant extracts to help our immune system fight back. Today, the product uh, is being sold at over 1,600 stores, and it's doing more than seven figures in annual revenue, and it actually just started about 14 months ago, so just over a year ago, making a lot of momentum very early on. Sona, thanks for being on the show. How are you, man? Very good. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So on this podcast... Uh, we're going to talk about going up against big companies that have really monopolized the industry or really the innate power um, that we have inside of us, which was called the immune system. Um, and we're going to dive into the entrepreneurial journey of starting a business like this. Um, I think it'll be really interesting, uh, especially for the audience, which I think is primarily US-based, to hear a little bit about what it's maybe like to start a business in the UK and maybe some differences there. So I, I'm personally interested and learning a little bit about that. Um, you ready to dive in? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome, man. So um, let's get right to it. Suna, what's what's your story? Like, what's the short story of your life? Of course, yeah. So, you know, I'm one of those entrepreneurs who somehow had this bug, which was the entrepreneurial bug ever since I was a, a young child. And God knows where that comes from. But I was four years old, blocking my parents' stairs and charging them 2p every time they went up or down the stairs um, as a way of making some pocket money as a kid. So I had it in me from a young age. Um, and, you know, I had my first eBay business when I was 16 that was making me extra pocket money. Um, and I've just always had this thing for ideas and opportunities and wanted to kind of explore them. But then at the same time, combine that with this big overarching trend, which I kind of saw, which is, you know, health and wellness is so important. It, you know, food and drink is the food, the fuel we put in our body. Um, yeah, everything we eat and everything on the market is kind of, you know, bad in some form right. or another. Um, so those kind of things combined and got me wanting to start a food and drink company. But, you know, I was a graduate coming out of university um, and I had no idea how. Um, so I did the, the the standard corporate route and ended up working for Barclays Bank, which is one of the biggest banks here in the UK, um, on their future leadership program. Spent four years there going between various roles, but I was never content. It didn't kind of scratch that itch I had, but it, but it taught me a lot. Um, so I made a transition from banking into Virgin because I thought, what better company than a really entrepreneurial company like Virgin and worked there for a couple of years, which taught me a lot, but it was still very corporate. So then ultimately I had to make a jump into a food and drink startup, um, which was called Piccolo Baby Food, where I became their head of sales and helped grow that business into every kind of major supermarket in the UK. And that really was all about me learning and acquiring the skills I needed to launch my own company because I already had the idea for Tonic Health when I was back in banking. Um, but I just didn't know how to deliver it. I didn't know how to trade with a retailer. I didn't know the first thing about product development. And, you know, I didn't have a network around me to give me those answers. So I just had to go and learn it. And I did that by going and seeking out jobs that would give me those tools. So um, that's what kind of got me to where I am today and setting the business up. But it it really started from a, a personal frustration of mine where when I was in banking, I was getting sick three or four times a winter, catching cold and flu all the time. And, I, you know, I'm, I was like you, I was going to the gym four or five times a week. I was trying to eat healthy. I considered myself healthy. And for some reason, I was just getting sick all the time. And, I, you know, being a kind of proactive guy like I am, I was like, well, let me find out why. And let me see what I can do to fix it. And um, 
then you know i just started discovering all this science that shows the power of the immune system and realizing how bad some of the products are on the market and that was it i caught this kind of whiff of an opportunity and thought right we've got to we've got to make a change in this space and uh, hey presto a few years later we here we have tonic that's awesome man i love that story and i love how um sort of different yours is than maybe the average entrepreneur that has this idea takes a leap of faith right away and and kind of um maybe succeeds or maybe fails um you had the idea in banking which was i think your first career out of college and then you transition to virgin and then you transition to a, a baby food startup and you were able to acquire and accumulate more knowledge and skills along the way but you knew in the back of your mind that you wanted to do this thing this this immunity brand um so how long did it take from the inception in banking to production or realization? Uh, four years. Um, so for in terms of from banking to setting up the first production run, it was four years because there was a lot of knowledge I needed. And every time I did a role, I wanted to actually properly learn that role and deliver for at least a year. Um, but even then, still you know this is where that kind of classic trait of entrepreneurialism comes through which is persistence um because we actually tried to launch tonic health in 2018 and when we tried to go and do that first production run we had our natural plant powders kind of reacting somehow with the vitamins and clumping when we were trying to fill them into the sachets so we had three failed production runs in 2018 and by that point it was already christmas so we'd kind of missed the winter season and we just said okay we're gonna have to can it and we'll come back stronger um winter 2019 so we had even a, a kind of false dawn and a false start for a year and then we came back and um you know now it's gone from strength to strength so you're did you when did you quit the baby food startup did you do that while you were doing this for a little while or no so i even had my own company that i started to help me get the funds to launch tonic health so um i left the baby food company what was it uh 20 back end of 2017 okay. and then uh over christmas 2017 i started an agency called lvk global um, and that agency was a sales and marketing agency designed to help um, ethical and mindful food and drink brands get into supermarkets. Because by that point, I knew how to get brands into retailers and I could offer clients value. Yeah. Um, and I really used that as a platform to build the resources, the capability, the team to then pivot and kind of launch Tonic Health because I didn't have any kind of personal wealth to, to be able to get it off the ground. So as you say, I've taken many little steps along the journey to kind of get to this point. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been fun and a slightly different journey from most. I love that. It sounds like a patient journey, um, which is a virtue most of us don't have. I, I'm also not patient. <laughs> uh, but you know needs must and you just i'm figuring it out as i go and things take time absolutely so why the name tonic good question um so the, the name tonic came from you know what it means essentially which is it's a health aid and i wanted to position tonic and the product as you know, we aren't just another supplement company because there's millions of them out there saying this vitamin, that vitamin, you know, where tonic is different is we are all about, you know, providing almost a health aid in times of need. So if you have an issue with your immune system, we will address it and we will help you fix that. So it's not just a general supplement you take every day. It's something that's really going to fix an issue you have or potentially aid your recovery with cold and flu. That's really good. And that's one of the things that I read about, <clears throat> you know, doing my research about tonic. And unfortunately, uh, you guys don't deliver the product to the US yet. I think you mentioned the summer of this year, um, the product will be available in the United States. Um, but one of the sort of the descriptive features um, in a part of your story was that you didn't want to just treat symptoms, you wanted to help people with recovery. Um, can you sort of define what you mean by that? Of course. Yeah. It's, um, 
you know, it's one of the kind of market injustices that I see, which is my whole driving force behind the business. Because when you talk to people, and this is something I did a lot of before we launched the company, and you say, when you're sick, what is it you want? What's your number one need state, as it were? And more often than not, the number one need state is, I just want to get better. I'm sick. I don't want to be sick. Very simple. And then especially in the UK, um, the only thing that people are really buying is called Lemsip, which is similar to your Tylenol. Um, and it's a, it's a medicated drug, which is a symptomatic relief product, which basically suppresses your symptoms, which sounds great because you might feel better for a couple of hours. But the truth is the symptoms aren't the virus. The symptoms are your immune system helping your body fight the virus so for example when you raise your temperature even by half a degree your immune cells can function at a faster rate and travel around the body quicker whilst the viral rate of replication actually goes down so you get sick you take tylenol and the behavior of many people is they'll smash it four or five times a day until they get better but then what they end up doing is having this drawn out cold or flu experience that ends up lingering for seven to 10 days. And it's because they're constantly suppressing the immune system, suppressing the immune system. So it can't act in the way it normally would to get rid of the virus. You know, same thing with running the runny nose, right? Everyone hates it, but actually that's your nasal passage trying to flush the virus out of your system as quick as it can to stop it from taking hold as much. Um, So, you know, you take a, decongestion or you clear your nasal passage then that function isn't happening anymore so you're actually weakening your body's defenses every time you do it so you know that just as a thing just seems so counterintuitive to me that I was like well you know what can I actually do to help these mechanisms and help people recover faster and you know that's where when you get into the science and the detail of the immune system you know vitamin c is the fuel for your immune system. Vitamin D plays a critical role. Zinc, all these things are critical to your immune system. So if you give it more in those times of need, you can dispel that virus much quicker. Okay. Um, Now, tonic is, tonic is uh, really proclaimed to be better than the alternatives. Um, Is there one specific ingredient or like what makes it better than the alternatives and what protects the brand from allowing the alternatives to just replicate what you're doing. And then, of course, I mean, you're absolutely right. So, you know, there is no IP or uniqueness to tonic in the sense of anyone could go and copy our formulation and make it. Um, But, you know, we are talking to doctors, immunologists, nutritionists all the time, and we already have kind of tonic 2.0 plan to come out um, in winter 2021. And we have new products even launching in two weeks time. So we're all about innovation and constantly evolving and doing the right thing for the immune system. Because the truth is, you know, the science doesn't fully understand the immune system yet. Um, So as the science develops, we will always develop and aim to stay ahead of the game. But to your point around what makes us different, there's a few things. So the high dose is one. So, you know, it doesn't take a genius to quickly Google search vitamin C and cold and flu and see a load of articles. Some say it doesn't work. Some say it does work. And who do you believe? Right. And a lot of doctors even will come out and say, oh, no, it's a myth. It's not true. But this is where the important nuance comes in, which a lot of these articles ignore, is our immune system's relationship with vitamin C is super dose dependent. So if you take 200 milligrams of vitamin C when you get a cold, chances are it's not going to help you. Um, If you take mega doses and high doses, the science is very clear that it will help you. Um, There have been meta-analysis of i think it's something like eleven thousand studies across oh sorry eleven thousand participants in hundreds of studies um looking at vitamin c when they accounted for that dose dependency and it was clear that if you take the high dose 
at that time of need at the start of an onset of a cold, you can reduce the duration of your cold or flu by up to 33%, um, which is pretty significant. And that's vitamin C in isolation, right? And tonic is a combination of vitamin C, vitamin D and zinc, plus then these powerful plant extracts like ginger, like elderberry, um, which also help your immune system. And the, the funny part about the science and to the point about it not being complete yet is no one has actually done that study, which shows the compound effect of vitamin C, D and zinc. And if you combine them all at the right doses, how powerful can it really be in that reduction of um, duration of cold and flu? And that's where we, you know, one of my aims and personal objectives is I can't wait to, you know, have the budget to be able to launch that study and prove this to people of how powerful it can be because each of those vitamins has a synergistic and different role to play in the immune system. And so it, it, to me, it doesn't make sense when everyone's like, oh yeah, it's fine. I'll take my vitamin C every day. It's like, well, why would you ignore vitamin D? Why would you ignore zinc? You know, the science is all there to support these things as well. And they play a different role. So that dose is kind of our number one differentiating factor. And then the second part is the plants, as I mentioned, because we combine, we will always combine vitamins and plants together because, you know, plants on, uh, sorry, vitamins are naturally found in plants in real, in the wild. Um, and so your body's absorption rate of a vitamin increases dramatically when it thinks it's coming from and with food, um, which is why they always say, take your vitamins with food. But, you know, the difference is dramatic, dramatic. So tablets, if you just pop a tablet without food, will have about a 20 to 30% absorption rate. So you're really not getting anything of that tablet. Whereas if you take something like tonic that has plant extracts in it and then take it with food and it's a drink, so you mix our powder with drink, the absorption rate goes up to 90%. So you're really getting those vitamins and minerals you need and having a high dose, high impact. So they're probably the two differentiating large differentiating factors from us but then we do it also in the right way so our products are vegan um you know stuff like vitamin d is often extracted from sheep's wool um so we get ours from lichen which is a plant a naturally sustainable plant source um and then we don't do it with any artificial sweeteners and um, no added sugar especially um because you guys are big on your emergency and uh zabi's naturals uh, those guys have a lot of similar products to tonic but th their two weaknesses are they don't have the dose right and then they're full of sugar so the number one ingredient in emergency is fructose so you get more fructose than you do vitamin c and the problem with that is vitamin c has this a very similar molecular structure to sugar and our sugar, uh, our cells are predispositioned to kind of absorb sugar first. So they will actually compete in the body. So if you take a big sugar hit with a, sh a vitamin C hit, the absorption rates of your vitamin C completely drop through the floor. So any vitamin on the market, you, you know, you have to look at that sugar level and make sure, you know, it's sugar free. And then also doesn't have all the nasty artificial fillers and sweeteners that most of them do and look for one that's natural and it, you're, you're actually going to absorb. Wow. That's fascinating. And that's a lot of stuff that I did not know. Um, I'm going to be on Google later, just looking this stuff up, following my rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> There's many of them in this space. I can assure you. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, so no, what, you know, cause you guys are very early in the startup stages um 14 months after launch uh continuing to put out some new products what would you say is the greatest challenge or struggle that you've experienced so far since starting it's a really good question um the <laughs> biggest struggle i think obviously it's always time you know as a small business you know when i actually launched the product i was still finishing off some contracts for my clients with LVK. So for the first three months of Tonic, I was actually part-time and had, you know, just a little bit of help from some of the team members I had in LVK. Um, so, you know, you've always got to kind of prioritize and pick the most important jobs to do. And ultimately sometimes accept that you can't do everything and prioritize things. I think that's 
you know, that's the biggest hurdle I've personally come across because my natural tendency is I want to do everything. I want to do that. I want to launch this. I want to launch this product into that retailer and then launch this online. And, you know, the reality of um, how quick our growth has been has been amazing. But the downside to it is, you know, if I critically look at our business, I see so many things. I'm like, oh, I want that to be better. I want this to be better. I want to be here. And it's, you know, because we're moving at a million miles an hour. So, prioritizing the right things and focus i think is absolutely fundamental and knowing when to say no um because i well i learned that lesson in my other startup piccolo baby food <coughs> when um we launched in 13 countries within the space of six months across europe um you know at the time our thinking was right more markets more growth more sales happy days let's go and then you know before you know it you're talking to a guy in Israel because he wants to buy like a few boxes, but then he's sending you his Israeli version of your website, you know, that you have to approve. And, you know, it just, and then there's custom documents and all these things that just tie your business up in so much admin. Um, Everything takes much more work and time than you think. So one of how I applied that then in Tonic was we just said, look, we are UK only. And we're going to ignore the rest of Europe. Um, We produce in the UK. We only sell in the UK at the moment. And even just with that, we're super busy because actually we're growing the retail business where we're in the likes of Boots, which is your Walgreens equivalent. um, And we're in, you know, other health stores as well. And we're doing that whilst then trying to grow a subscription business and sell subscription boxes on our website as well. And you'll know from hosting a podcast and all your businesses, how much work there is to online with, you know, SEO and backlinks and to do it all properly. Um, it takes so much resource and yeah, we're a team of four people. So (laughs) it doesn't, it doesn't always work, um, wanting to do everything, but uh, I'd say that's probably been our biggest challenge and, uh, you know, I haven't always called it right in terms of what to focus on. So many directions we could go at this point um, with that part of the story. Uh, one, I will say this, um, being a startup founder myself, um, if time has been your greatest struggle for the first year, you're doing okay. Um, <clears throat> I've endured, you know, like hurricanes ruining the kitchen and production and all, just crazy stuff. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it comes in time. <laughs> well, yeah. That being said, I mean, we have had issues with COVID, obviously. Sure. Um, you know, our Boots customer, they're, they're <clears throat> predominantly on the high street. So national lockdown one, no footfall on the high street and everything moves online. But the sales don't directly translate across. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, national lockdown two, then three we've had in the UK. Um, so, you know, I, the, one of the hardest questions I have from my investors is, you know, okay, so what's your monthly run rate? Are you hitting your rate of sale expectations? And, you know, I'd say probably what have we had now? Uh, what's that? We've had four months of national lockdown in our first 12 months of trading. So, you know, the numbers, I, I can't tell you if they're an accurate reflection of our rate of sale because it's just so unpredictable at the moment. That's yeah, difficult. How, what's the percentage of in-store sales versus your online subscription sales? So we are 70% retail and about 30% online. Um, so because of COVID, we have had massive growth online and we trade a lot through that channel, which is great because we get to know the customer. We understand why we talk to them all. We understand why they're buying Tonic, what the journey was like and how we can improve things. So I think it's a super valuable side of the business that has to be there, especially in this day and age. But then for us to be able to grow as quick as possible because we're small and we don't have the budgets, the fastest way we can do that has been, you know, launching into pharmacies and retail so that they have the distribution and they have the customer and we're just there on the shelf. The You mentioned that there's four employees at Tonic. Um, I'm guessing right. four full-time employees. What do those four people do? 
So we have myself as the founder, which is doing everything, as you'll yeah. know. Um, then we have a head of marketing, um, a girl called Emily Gray. So she takes over the kind of brand and comms um, from a day-to-day perspective and managing our kind of big campaigns. Then we have um, a kind of sales and marketing exec who helps more is a graduate who helps more across, you know, admin and sales delivery, visiting stores, um, you know, customer service, that kind of thing. Uh, and then we have a sales manager as well who helps manage the retailers. Um, so everything that you would expect to hear, like a finance director or a logistics manager or things like that, we are currently sharing amongst the team yeah. until we can uh, afford to hire someone. For sure. I'm guessing you outsource everything else, right? Like the website looks fantastic. I don't imagine that Emily made that while she's putting out campaigns and doing communication. Um social media marketing, maybe you use somebody for, for that stuff. And of course, logistics, I'm sure you probably just you have a warehouse that you don't own particularly, but that's fulfilling your, your products, uh, making your supplements, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have <laughs> stayed very lean because of our outsource model, right? So we don't have our own manufacturing site. We work with an amazing partner that has 20 years of production capability and expertise so they do all the sourcing and the procurement of our plants and our vitamins for us so that makes that side of it um more efficient and easy and then like you say we've got an agency that's helping us with the website and performance marketing and other things so yeah that's kind of how we keep it that light got it and that's you know i think that's a decision that startup founders have to make early on is Am I going to try to employ the people to do like, do I need to buy a warehouse, build out these, these systems and these logistics, or do I outsource to a company that does this and has done this for a long time? Um, same thing with marketing, right? Am I going to keep it in house or am I going to leverage an out? You know, so it's one of those things that like, I, I think that some people don't actually realize is that you don't have to do it all on your own. You can get a couple strong people in the early stages and then, leverage those people to manage the relationships of the marketing company and the logistics company and distribution and stuff like that. Absolutely. So I've seen it actually a few times on the flip side when I was um, in LVK Global managing some other people's sales and marketing because we had manufacturers that we would work with. And, you know, those guys were brilliant. They would make a brilliant product and have this amazing factory with all the singing and dancing equipment but when it came to kind of selling that product then, they because they'd made it, it was great. They expected supermarkets just to buy it. And they didn't have the, you know, the firepower to spend half a million pounds or dollars on machinery and then spend half a million pounds on developing the brand and getting consumers to know about the product. And unless you have, you know, unlimited deep pockets you need to separate the two because they're both so cash heavy and resource intensive that if you have one, it often stops you from doing the other so well, Um, which is why we took the decision to outsource as much as we can, keep it lean because ultimately what we need to achieve is people understanding, you know, what we've just talked about as the immune system and how important it is to give it the right nutrients and getting people to buy the product. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're all focused on. And that's, you know, just to kind of reiterate, um, to go from zero to seven figures in 14 months is, is a lot, uh, for a startup founder. So you guys have done something really impressive. Um, the marketing must've been strong and distribution must be consistent. Um, you mentioned investors earlier. Uh, have you raised money? If so, are you, how much, when did you do it? Early stages, midway through with, how's that look for you? Of course. Um, so we did raise money back in March 2020, um, just as the pandemic was starting to kick yeah, off. Yeah, that's an interesting time. So it, it was a bit crazy. We even, you know, did some investments with people that we'd never even met, um, you know, just to, over a few Zoom calls and chat. Wow. So it was a bit weird. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we had to raise money. Growing a startup is expensive. Um, it doesn't come for free. And you know, I've seen a lot of startups as well try and do it without raising money, and ultimately, it, 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 
it either takes them a hell of a lot longer um, or it doesn't succeed because, you know, you need to invest early on. And that's why we got some fairly high profile, big investors in. So um, we had uh, the likes of Tom Singh. He set up um, New Look in the UK and Europe, ended up, you know, being a, a 340 million pound company that he sold. Um, we have actually an ex-president of Unilever, um, on on our board of investors, which is amazing for us because he can give us all the real insight and knowledge of how to kind of get a health product going. Um, and yeah, I've just tried to surround myself with you know people that are smarter than me and have knowledge of how to grow a brand and do it. And that I think that's been you know the driver of of our success um, first and foremost. One, we've had a lot of knowledge around us, and you know two there was a hell of a lot of preparation as well. You know, if you just start a product today, make it in your kitchen and then launch it tomorrow, it's going to be really difficult. You know, before I even launched Tonic, I was already talking to Boots, our Walgreens equivalent, because I already knew the science. I already knew the gap on their shelf. And so I went in there with just some ideas and early stage designs and said, look, this is your gap on your shelf. This is where the science is sh- moving. Um, and, w- you know, in, in six months' time, we'll have a product that will fit here. And actually, they really appreciated that because they, A, love to be engaged, B, love to actually learn themselves about what they're doing. Um, and, yeah, you know, they get sold to all the time. Hey, buy my product. Hey, buy my product. Hey, yeah. buy my product. Instead of being like, hey, guys, I, I've got some research and analysis I just want to show you about where there's a gap in your category. Yeah. Um, and it becomes a different conversation. Um, and then when we obviously had the product and could then go back to them post-launch and say, here it is, try it, do you like it? They were like, easy sell, trust the guys. I know what they're doing. I know they know the science and the stuff. So we're going to launch it. So we got confirmation of uh, launching in Boots yeah, two months after launching. Uh, and, you know, that that's unheard of. Normally, <laughs> you're a two-month-old company. They'd be like, go away. Like, come back in a year once you know what you're doing. Um, but it's because there was so much preparation into it that helped. it kind of helped us accelerate that. Definitely. So you waited to pitch investors, what, four or five months after starting? Yeah, because... I wanted to kind of deliver a bit of a proof of concept, say, look, guys, here's all the science and everything and the market dynamics of why this is going to work. But actually, here's the product. Try it. Here's the customer feedback. This is how it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I and you were in boots in as well prior. So you got in boots. Yeah, we had that secure. We weren't in it at the time, but we'd secured the listing. So it was going to launch in a couple of months time. So that gave them the confidence that there's, you know, the biggest pharmacy chain in the country is behind this. You know, that gives investors confidence that it's going to work as well. Yeah. How much did you decide to raise for the first round? Uh, so we met, we raised half a million uh, UK sterling, um, which was a lot of money at the time. And I remember thinking like, wow, <laughs> you know, how are we going to invest all this money? It's so much money. Um, and yeah, it goes then away really quick. It, it, it goes so fast, you know, the businesses cost money. You, the more people you hire, you know, it just, it, it does suck a lot of resources. And, um, you know, we know when we want to launch in the U S we're going to need a lot more as well. For sure. Um, you've, talked a lot about preparation and there's and clearly you did a lot of preparation i mean just from the having the inception being in finance to working for close to four more years and a couple other businesses learning growing um having a concept that you couldn't launch for a whole nother year and then hitting the ground running um would you attribute your early stage success you know when we talk about preparation let's talk about it more practically did you have a a business plan developed did you have projections i mean how thorough was your preparation and what did that look like it's a really good question because everyone has that classic you know you need to go and write a business plan map everything out plan it all out and then you'll be fine um but one of the things i learned at that first company i was at piccolo baby food 
when because I joined them right at their inception. So one of my first jobs they was they gave me their business plan, which was fifty pages, insane document, really detailed, thorough, thorough, thorough document, amazing, like phenomenal. Um, and my first job was can you cut this in half because the investors don't want to read it? <laughs> it's too long. Um, so then I spent like two days going through it and kind of slimming it down, streamlining it, got it down to about 25 pay pages. And then, you know, some investors were like, yeah, okay, cool. But can you give me like a two page synopsis? <laughs> and so then we had to get a two page synopsis. And then whilst that was all great and that got the investors sorted with Piccolo, when we launched, those plans were in a drawer and you know whilst we had an idea of what we were doing you know everything changes and you learn so quick um that you think oh we're going to do it like this it's going to cost this much and then you get the actual costings and it's totally different um so how i kind of prepared for you know tonic is of course i i wrote a five-year commercial model and build um rather than doing a really long you know 20 30 page business plan i created more of a, a business plan in a in a deck so it was a lot more flexible and fluid so you know don't get me wrong i'd worked out the commercials i'd you know got our sales channel strategy sorted and i had these things but you know was there any point in me writing in the plan that within the first 6 months we would launch in a national grocery chain well, not really, because I'm not in control of that. So what actually happened was we got Boots, a national pharmacy chain. And then even though we wanted a grocery store, the next retailer we managed to achieve was a, a national kind of health and wellness retailer. So the plan pivots and changes. So pretty much as soon as you write that business plan, it's out of date. So I would. it's more about, in my opinion, having a guiding framework of this is our strategy of what we're trying to achieve within these boundaries and where we want to go. But there is no point going to the nth degree and writing everything out because it, it will just change and be wrong on day one. Yeah. And I think be, having the, the characteristic of adapting to change, being able to pivot, right? Because a lot of people can spend a ton of time developing their business plan. And if it doesn't work out the way that they thought, it can be extremely discouraging and, and you and I both know it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. Sometimes it's just different. Um, so, but that speaks a lot of volumes to the preparation that you took. And um, I think tonic is a product of a lot of your experiences, even with that startup, uh, especially with that startup, I would say, what do you think contributes the most to like your competency as a leader, as it relates to your past? And what I mean by that is like you were in finance um, in banking, and then you went into sales, uh, B2B sales, you helped a startup, right? So if you had to choose one of those experiences that contributes to your ability as a leader and business owner now, which one is it? Yeah, it's a good question because I don't know if I could pick, I mean, the most hands-on experience you will ever get without a shadow of a doubt is go work for a startup. Um but do it at the right time, I would say. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, it's so hands-on, it's so crazy. You get so much responsibility that you wouldn't otherwise get in a corporate. You're, you're going to learn tons and tons. So I learned so much in that time at Piccolo. However, my corporate training of banking and knowing how to, you know, create formal presentations and pitch to senior leaders was also part of the reason why I was so good in the startup because I could go and pitch to any retailer and, you know, absolutely nail it and wipe the floor with a presentation, you know, better than the ones that they see internally because that was a skill I got in banking because, <laughs> to be honest, everything was creating presentations yeah. and pitching to directors and stuff like that. So you got so trained in those kind of fundamental communication skills um, that, you know, then pitching into relay retailers became second nature to me. So it's hard to say one, a startup will always give you more, but I would say corporates are a brilliant place to start and build um, a grounding and a foundation to your knowledge. And then absolutely go into a startup and really learn it from the ground up. I think, you know, how I looked at my career, it was always learning, learning, learning. So as soon as I finished, 
you know, got to a place where I thought I'd finished everything I could learn. I was like, right, what's my next role? Um, and I just kept doing that and kept going, okay, I've done finance. So let me go into travel a way I've done travel. So let me go into food and, you know, I would change industry and change role from marketing to sales to finance every time, because whilst that was incredibly hard and don't get me wrong, I got into some roles and I was like, bloody hell, I don't know how to do this, uh, you know, but it would teach me and I would figure it out and I would learn quickly and, and adapt. And that's, I guess, given me, you know, the well-rounded nature to be able to run a business because it is everything. It's finance, it's marketing, it's sales. So yeah, I think that's, that's what I would say. Although that's not one. <laughs> Bunch of hard skills. Um, yeah. In your opinion, what do you think makes a great leader? Like if you had to choose one to three characteristics, what would they be? One to three characteristics of a great leader. Um, you know, I think, I think you've got to kind of lead from the front in the sense of I always got, you know, very frustrated in corporate roles when you would just get a to-do list, you know, from your bosses or your directors and they were off doing something else and going to corporate events and doing other things. And I've always rather kind of been in the trenches as it were and get stuck in with everyone. Um, so I think kind of leading from the front and working with your team and, you know, showing that, showing them that you're there with them, you know, unfortunately for me, you know, that means you have to work the longest hours. You know, I'm sending my first email at 7am and uh, my last one's maybe at 10, 10pm 10 at night and I'm always on. Um, you have to do that. You have to be there for your staff to kind of help and guide them because you think, that they should be able to do it to the standard you need, but you know, they're at a different stage of their career. So, so they need help and support. So I always try and help and kind of, you know, support the team um, along that journey and be there with them to kind of deliver whilst, you know, at the same time, I think that goes hand in hand with providing clear directives and expectations and frameworks from which to work within and kind of not say, look, here's the answer, go do the X, Y, and Z. It's more, guys, this is the objective. This is what we need to achieve. Here's the, you know, the performance metric that we're looking at, which is going to show us whether we've succeeded or not. And we need that number to be this. So, you know, go away and figure out three or four strategies of how we can try and deliver that. Um, and that's what we need for these reasons. Um, and I always try and explain the kind of justification for things as well. And I think that just helps people, you know, really have clarity on what it is they need to do, but then at the same time have the autonomy and freedom to feel like they have value and they're going to create this themselves and it's their own project and they have ownership over it. Um, because you know, otherwise no one likes a boss that just barks orders at them all day. So, um, yeah. you know, I think that's, you know, a framework we're really trying to put in place at tonic and, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not perfect at it. You know, one of the, the biggest shifts I'd say that, you know, going from working in a startup to being the founder of a startup is, you know, you just, you want to do it all and you want to be involved in everything and it, because it's yours and it is so personal to you that this is your baby and I need to see this and make sure that's right and this and that. And that won't get you anywhere and you have to kind of learn to let go and trust the process and enable your team um, to go and do the job and get the business to where it needs to be. And, you know, I haven't been perfect at that because, you know, I was always a corporate doer. I was like, give it to me. I'll sort it out. That was my natural kind of tendency. And I kind of, for the first few months of tonic, I was doing that. And then I was like doing absolutely everything and delegating nothing. And it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so I'm still learning that side of it as well and learning to kind of manage and share the workload. I imagine that's a lifelong process. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think is the future of Tonic? Do you think um, subscription will continue to grow and maybe dominate the percentage? Or do you think you guys will double down on the store presence? I see it synergistically um, because what we've, you know, noticed happen is people will discover us in store and then they'll 
absolutely love the product so much so that they don't want to worry about going back to the store and buying it again. So then they'll potentially come to our site and buy a subscription so that it just comes every month really conveniently. So I think the two, you know, play fully hand in hand um, because the flip side of that is now, whilst we're in a national lockdown three in the UK, the reality is people aren't going into the stores now to discover us as a product. So it's harder for us to, you know, get attention of people because online, ultimately, the bigger the budget, the more people see you. And we're a small business with a small budget. So it's hard for us to cut through. Whereas if we're on the shelf against all the other competitors there, people can just go and make a choice and it's a fairly level playing field, right? You just stand at shelf and go, which one catches my eye? Let me read some of the details, which one's right for me. And then you pick one. So it's, it's pretty standardized once you're on that retail shelf. So um, yeah, I'd say it's, they're, they're both here to stay and we'll be trying to grow both as much as we can because um, you know, retail will come back to what it was. I, you know, I think digital is massive and it's always growing and it's super convenient, but you know, people love a day out, yeah. you know, go to the shops, wander around, explore, discover new things. Um, and so that, that will stay. Gotcha. So I have some couple rapid fire questions before we close out today. So um, who do you look up to in the industry? Like what's a, you know, a leader in your industry that you're maybe when you think of business leadership or even you think of a business model, who would that be? That's a, a really good question. Um, I think, I'd struggle to pick one um, because there are just so many amazing leaders out there. And I think, you know, with the advent of podcasts now, you have such access to them as well and their their mind and their thinking. So um, Tom Bilyeu, the, the founder of Quest Nutrition, is an example. I think he's phenomenal. The kind of principles he instilled in quest from a young age of you know how work should be fun and how he cared about his employees you know it's just incredible and uh, you know how he's then taken that into impact theory where he interviews all these amazing people and really starts to understand it you know what are the psychological traits and the mechanisms we need in our body to create impact in the world and yeah, I just think he's he's phenomenal at that. And, you know, he, he I, I relate to him in many ways because I think he's also a little bit of an introvert and a, a ten, you know, a natural kind of almost a bit geeky guy that just loves to learn stuff. And, yeah, I think that's just phenomenal and I, I can relate to that in many ways. So, Gotcha. If you had to choose one supplement um, inside of tonic, what would it be? Would it be vitamin C, vitamin D, or zinc? Oh, Tough question. They all have a different role, but I would say vitamin D would be actually the lead that um, I would pick because many people don't know it, but vitamin D is actually more of a hormone than it is a vitamin. And it plays so many vital roles in the body um, from muscle mass to bone density to your immune health. And without it, people get very sick um, if we're deficient. So I would have to pick vitamin D. Okay. Uh, are you a reader? Uh, not as much as I should be, but I, I do try my best. Yes. What's uh, one of the books maybe that's shifted or helped shape your life that you can recall? Uh, the most interesting one I've read recently is um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the Ooh. founder of Nike. I thought that was um, just a phenomenal story in terms of you know, he was working away as an accountant for like five years full time whilst getting Nike off the ground. And, you know, it taught me a lot about manufacturers and how you have to diversify your supply chain because he had his one Japanese manufacturer. And then after a few years, they tried to screw him over. So then he needed another factory in Mexico and one in, you know, and it, it just, the way he wrote that book was such a kind of real journey of a startup um and just yeah i think it's just inspiring to see because you go wow like for what i've done in a year like uh, it's you know it's okay like even yeah, though i think good you're doing, doing all right. okay um so yeah no it's phenomenal i love a good biography or a memoir i'm looking at shoe dog right now um oh, awesome. 
And he's, he's somewhat of an introvert leader as well, which defies the sort of charismatic entrepreneur uh, image that at least Western culture highlights. Um, what would be one of the best purchases you've made in under $100 recently? Best purchase under $100. Uh, whew, I, to be honest, I would have to say uh, the thing I'm most addicted to is my Whoop band. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know if you've played around with one much. But... I, dude, every, like, you're like the third interview, and I, I, I CrossFit, so I see them, and I'm like, but go on, go on. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I used to CrossFit, and I used to play a lot of sport, but in national lockdown, it's quite a lot more difficult. <laughs> so I, I haven't really done much a lot lately, but it tracks your sleep. And, you know, with my work schedule where I can be starting work at 6, 7 a.m. and finishing at 10 at night, if I don't get good sleep, I'm finished. Like, I will not get through the day. I'll get a migraine. I'll get cranky with people. You know, I'll think my business is collapsing like the world end. So sleep is like fundamental to how I get through my day. And, you know, this has taught me the things that I can do that have the most impact on my sleep. Um, you know, it's super important for your immune system. One bad night's sleep, less than six hours, can reduce your natural killer cell function by 70%. Wow. So it's why often when you travel and don't sleep, you get sick. Um, but yeah, I just need sleep. And, you know, I never believed um, blue blocking glasses. I just kind of thought, oh, who are these weird guys wearing these like red glasses at night? I just couldn't get it. And then I was like, do you know what? I'm going to try it because I had a friend who runs a, a blue blocking glasses company in the UK. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I better try it now. And, you know, the whoop band gave me the confidence because I could improve my recovery by like 14% on some days, dependent on whether I wore those glasses when it got dark or didn't. Wow. Um, and that's just massive massive difference yeah. um you know because i would be up at 10 o'clock at night staring at my screen still emailing um so yeah i guess it's the whip band which then led me to blue blocking glasses yeah. i am inspired um to make a purchase possibly following this episode um <laughs> last question man and this is uh something i got from tim ferris and i'm fascinated with how he interviews so i sort of use this one all the time if you could put anything on a big blank billboard on the busiest intersection you can think of what would it say? Uh, <laughs> Biotonic health. No, it would. It wouldn't be so uh, commercial. No, it would. It, it would. It would probably be something along the lines of, you know, food is fuel, not entertainment. Right? People go to their fridge all the time looking for like, oh, I want something nice to eat, and it's getting us into this horrible, unhealthy state where you know, half the world is pre-diabetic. <laughs> um, and for me, you've got to look at it as fuel. It, you know, what you are, what you eat, your whole cellular structure of your body changes every seven years. So you can literally be a new you in seven years time. And, you know, the food is the fuel. What you put in your body is how those cells form and how they get created and, and made. And yeah, it's food is fuel, not entertainment, I would say. Wow. Very uh, convicting end to a great episode, man. I've learned a ton. Um, I'm fascinated by what you do and what you've done so far uh, with Tonic and can't wait for it to be in the States. Um, how can the audience learn more about you, Sonna? What's uh, you know the best way to find you and the best way to find Tonic? Sure. So you can just find all about the immune system in our immunity hub and more about Tonic Health at www.tonichealth.co. Um, or on social, we're at Tonic Health. But if you want to learn more about my entrepreneurial journey or what I'm up to, I'm at The Health Fix on Instagram. So that's where I kind of hang out socially the most. Awesome. Well, dude, thanks for being on the show. It's been a pleasure and I've learned a ton. Amazing. Thanks for having me, Jared. It was uh, great talking to you. 